there, and welcome back to another episode of the Reshape Your Health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Morgan Nolte, and each week I bring you knowledge and tips and inspiration to help you lose weight, get healthy, and prevent disease. Now, this is airing the day before Halloween, so I hope that you have your plan in place. I know inside of my membership, we are not eating candy tomorrow, and I would encourage you to do the same. We've been preparing all month long by fasting from sweets every Saturday, and I thought that the guest for today's episode would be perfect for this topic. So Trisha Nelson is an emotional eating expert. She's dealt with this issue herself. She's helped many people overcome their emotional eating tendencies. And she also has a really awesome challenge that we talk about in today's episode called the Quit Sugar Challenge that she runs occasionally on Facebook. So you might see me promoting that the next time she launches. I've done it a couple times. I think it's really helpful. So in today's episode, we're focusing on emotional eating and specifically why it's not just about food, but we have to dig deeper and we have to uncover those underlying emotions that we might not want to face that are driving us to turn to food for comfort. So I know that you're going to get a lot of value from today's episode. And if you want to learn more about Trisha, just go to healyourhunger.com. Let's get started. Hi, Trisha. Thank you so much for coming on today's podcast, YouTube episode, wherever you're watching or listening. We are so thankful that you're here. Trisha is such a just little gem of wisdom. And I know she's going to drop a lot of great nuggets for you, whether you're dealing with emotional eating or you just have a sweet tooth that will not go away. Trisha's going to share some really great tips and pieces of advice that you can take, especially going into the holiday season. I know when this goes live, Halloween is tomorrow. So <laughs> this is, it's going to get real here pretty fast. Trisha, welcome to the show. Can you just introduce yourself, um, share a little bit about your business and really what brought you to this realm of emotional eating expertise? Absolutely. Thanks Morgan for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, I was an emotional eater from the get go. So all my work with heal your hunger comes from my personal journey as an emotional eater. And, you know, I was somebody who hated, like I loved food and I hated what it did to me when I overate. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I grew up definitely with a weight issue. So starting, I'd say at 13, I was really packing it on adolescence, of course. And, uh, I really felt very bad about my weight. I had a roll on my tummy that I would scrunch up and I'd in my hands and I'd want to cut it off. Like you'd cut off fat off the side of a steak. <laughs> Thank uh -huh. God I didn't try that. And, um, I, you know, I thought about getting some disease that where I just automatically lose weight and it would just happen. And then I wouldn't have to do anything. And I mm -hmm. thought, well, maybe I'll join the army and they'll force me to exercise and go, you know, boot camp. So pretty outlandish ideas about how to get the weight off because I was basically out of control with my eating and I love to eat and I loved ooey gooey chewy foods. So it was a real struggle and tension for me. And I really did feel really bad about myself based on my weight um, I was bigger than my friends. And so it affected me, it affected not only, you know, health wise, but my self-esteem in a big way, my self-confidence. Um, what happened for me, Morgan, is I did lots of different things to try to overcome it. Like I did diets and pills and potions and 
nothing I tried worked for me for any length of time. I mean, I, I could lose weight for a period of time, but I always put it back on. So I had like five different sizes of pants in my closet, <laughs> I you know? Yes. <laughs> um, and so, cause I was always hopeful that I'd get back down to that, that goal weight. But in the meantime, I had some other sizes on the way up and down. So it was a struggle. It was continuous, made me feel really bad about myself and made me feel very hopeless because by the time I had tried so many different things, I started to despair and think, gee, nothing's going to work for me. And I'm going to basically live out the rest of my life going up and down and yo-yoing like I had already. And, and by age 21, I was 50 pounds overweight. So I was going, I was going up and what happened is I found, I was in that point of despair and I think God must've just thrown me a, a bone because I met somebody who was able to help me really go deeper and stop the diet roller coaster ride and start addressing what was really going on. And that changed everything for me. And so I was able to heal at a deeper level, the real underlying causes, because anytime I would diet, if I didn't deal with that stuff, that's the stuff that would drive me to eat again. So that's what happened. And then I joined him in helping other people for, for several decades. We worked with all different kinds of people with disordered eating and other addictions. And so I really was able to do a lot of uh, research on what drives addictive eating. And about four years ago, I started Heal Your Hunger, um, my own business. Then I started my podcast and I wrote my book, the Heal Your Hunger and um, my programs. So it's, it's really been a wonderful thing to be able to really codify what I did to heal um, you know, and to live in a thin body and to teach that to other people. I have been te teaching several people for many years, but this, mm -hmm. I really put it into a, a system uh, about four years ago and it's made it so much easier and, and easier for people to access it. So that's really my story. That's how Heal Your Heart came about. And I just love teaching people about emotional eating because they don't realize that that's what's tripping them up. You know, they're always like, it's the wrong diet. I got to do this diet or that diet. But the truth is it's usually the emotional eating that's, that's getting them in mm -hmm. trouble. I think I do, I do think that there's something to be said about that too, where there are some psychological mental blocks that I sure. think contribute to emotional eating. And I think once you're just armed with the knowledge of what even emotional eating is and how do you differentiate that from food addiction. Cause I think a lot of people hear the word addiction and that's scary to them. You know, they don't want to mm -hmm. be an addict. So can you provide a little <laughs> bit of clarity <laughs> between what is an emotion, who is an emotional eater, who has a food addiction and how do we differentiate that? Definitely. My experience is it's it, in all my research is it's really a spectrum because I believe we all are hardwired to have an emotional connection with food. I mean, you're a, a, a young mother, you know that babies who breastfeed, there's an emotional connection and bond that's created. And, uh, and it's true. We just are, we're meant to have that connection. Otherwise we'd just blow off eating. We'd be like, eh, not really interested. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, and so there's nothing bad about that. It's just my experience of how far we take it is, is really where we get to qualify the difference between emotional eating and food addiction. So I feel like everybody's an emotional eater. 
However, if you do it long enough and hard enough, you know, and, and you start amassing consequences, you're in the food addiction territory. And I definitely was. So it's definitely a spectrum where on the low end is emotional eating on the high end is food addiction. So, and all food addicts are emotional eaters. It's their emotions, out of control emotions, that's causing them to eat to the point of addiction. Uh, but not all emotional eaters are food addicts because they don't do it in a way that, you know, really creates a lot of problems in their life. So uh, to me, it's the measure of control and the measure of consequences is how you qualify where somebody is on that spectrum. And I've actually made it easy for people by creating a free quiz on my website, mm -hmm. it's three minutes where they can determine where they are on the spectrum. Will you um, give that link? Do you have that URL? Yes. It's a heal at heal your hunger, H E A L heal your hunger.com. And it'll pop right up in that they Perfect. can take that quiz. And I'll link to that in the YouTube description and the podcast. Okay. Oh, great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you take that quiz, 10 questions, and then, you know, you get a personalized score of where you are on the spectrum. And so, you know, anybody I'd say who's a two, three or four on that spectrum is, is going to need to do some work. Otherwise they're going to be battling this thing for a long time. And my experience is anybody who does battle food and weight they don't have to be overweight, but if they battle food, if food is a constant obsession for them, uh, and if they do struggle with weight, of course, and it's chronic, like, like, like just going on intermittent fasting doesn't heal it or, you know, doing the keto diet doesn't just like take care of it. And, and they keep struggling they keep trying new diets, then, you know, it's definitely something that needs to be addressed because it's an emotional eating issue. And so to me, that's why 98% of all diets fail is because, uh, which is an abysmal statistic, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but it's because people keep dieting and not realizing that the reason why they put the weight back on is because they've taken away the food during the diet, but they haven't taken away or addressed why they gained the weight in the first place. Mm -hmm you know, what anxieties, what fears, what, what, you know, kind of aberrant ways of, of living are driving them to stress eat. And so that really, it must be addressed. Um, and it's so often overlooked because you just want to make it about the food. Like everybody just like, give me the diet, let me do the diet and it'll take care of everything. And it just doesn't. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my members are like, do you have a meal plan? And I don't, I mean, it's a lot of work to come up with meal plans. And what I find is that even if I were to give them one, it doesn't mean that they're going to follow it and right on. when that meal plan's done. <laughs> so we need to just kind of come to terms with real food and learn how to make your own meal plans, I think, because I'm not going to be here forever to make your meal plans. Um, I want to dig in to one, actually two things that you mentioned. So the first was that you overcame your emotional eating and you really got to the the triggers, or I'm not sure if you like that word, but that's one word that I use what was at the bottom of your emotional eating? So what did you have to overcome to overcome your emotional eating? So I think there's a myth out there that like, like people will say to me, I know why emotional eat, like I know what caused it. And they look back to maybe trauma or something as a child or some one trigger. And I don't mind the word trigger, Okay, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> But basically in my experience and research is it isn't just one thing and it would be so easy if it were, 
But here's my experience with trauma, which people who struggle chronically with food and weight typically do have trauma. They either have alcoholism or some kind of addiction in their family or a rager, you know, as a parent or some kind of mental illness or sexual abuse. I mean, the list goes on and on. But what happens when we have those experiences as children, uh, which is typically where it starts, is we have to adapt and we have to cope with that pain. And so we adopt coping skills, which are at our fingertips, which there aren't a lot of them when you're a kid, you know, you don't have access, you can't walk into a bar and order a gin and tonic. So you have to be creative and, and find a way to get by. And that's why so many emotional eaters end up as people pleasers mm -hmm. and caretakers and, you know, chameleons is because as kids, you know, and emotional, we end up as emotional eaters also. So we use food as a coping tool, but we also, our personality morphs to try to cope with the stress and the danger, oftentimes physical and emotional danger or sexual danger that we're in. Um, so what happens is, is our personality changes. And then we have these personality traits that work as, as a kid to cope but as adults, you know, we don't get rid of them. We're not like, okay, we're out of the danger. We're going to go back to being normal. No, no, no. We've, we've kind of morphed our personalities to, to, you know, and, and we don't get rid of them in which case as adults, these things, when we're no longer in danger, they don't work for us. And yet these are the traits that, that create stress that drives stress eating. So it'd be nice that if there are one thing we can isolate, but unfortunately those things have spawned other things like other traits and fears and belief systems. And so it's really this web of things that we have to untangle in order to really heal. And, but it's not so hard. Um, what I've done is I've created something called the anatomy of the emotional ear. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that too. Can you Good. Dive into that? So that's exactly what I'm referring to. It's 24 personality traits that make up the emotional eaters personality. Cause people think as an emotional eater, it's about my eating. Right. But it's really not only that that's the symptom. Like we eat out of control. We eat too much. We eat carbs and sugar to excess where we feel gross. You know, we might vomit to try to get rid of it or use laxatives or over exercise. And, you know, it's just, we're on this roller coaster, but that's the symptom, but what's really causing it. That's, that's a really million dollar question. And my experience is it is, um, you know, the way we operate in the world that's causing us to stress tea. And so it's these 24, I've identified the 20, the main traits, there's others, but the main traits, there's 24 of them. Not everybody has all 24, but there are some definite common ones that always show up uh, like people pleasing. I'd say that's the top one. I've never met an emotional eater who wasn't a people pleaser, or at least somebody who's stressed about what people thought of them. And my experience is that this also goes back to trauma, where if we did not get a strong sense of ourselves early on in life, like if we didn't have parents who had a strong sense of themselves where they could pass it on to us, um, you know, if we had to do a lot of jockeying for love and a lot of grabbing for whatever bit of, bit of you know, whatever morsels of approval there were, were to go around, um, we don't have a strong sense of ourselves and then we look outside of ourselves for it. So we're always looking to get some kind of accolades, some kind of at a girls, right? And then unfortunately what happens is we knock ourselves out. We, we wreck our adrenals. You know, we, we are exhausted trying to be all things to all people for this fleeting sense of approval and worth. 
And then not only we, you know, kind of wrecked ourselves doing it, but then we're pissed off because nobody's ever as pleased as we plan on them being, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, what? They barely even acknowledged me in all my efforts. You know, I've just spent all this extra time on that extra project at work or planning the, you know, the, the, the high school party or whatever it is, um, the church gathering, whatever. And so, um, you know, it's a deadly combination of being exhausted and tired and overworked and then resentful, uh, and, and feeling overlooked. And so we go home and we have the, I deserve it binge. So that's an example. (laughs) (laughs) That's an example, right. Of how, something that has nothing to do with food, which is people pleasing and saying yes to everybody without checking in with ourselves and seeing what we can really do without, you know, you know, stretching ourselves too thin and are eating. And it's like, what? that's got nothing to do with it, but it really does. And this is why the idea of a diet is kind of silly because you can't just change your eating. You have to change your living. And I always say it's a living problem, not an eating problem. And so when we address the living problem, then we're not going to need the crutch of food. It's not going to call to us like it does when we're so tired and we've been, you know, just maxing it out all the time because overeaters are also overdoers, you know, and we tend to put way too much in our schedule have way too much on our plate, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, and then we just end up, you know, in the middle of the night, opening the refrigerator and having, you know, three bowls of cereal or ice cream or whatever. Yeah. And they're, they're usually high carb, you know, high carb, high sugar foods that are going to spike insulin and increase your weight. Now you don't know this about me. I didn't tell you about this before, but I actually had exercise bulimia for about 10 months in high school. And at okay. least a third of our high school class had some sort of eating disorder. So I went to a really small private school. There were about 32 girl kids, boys and girls in our class. And at least a third of us had an eating disorder in high school wow. alone. Wow. And I would um, eat something and then rollerblade run. Sometimes I would, I I ran in my room, which was a second story room. And I did that so much that the light fixture below my room in the kitchen shattered. Oh my gosh. I got in trouble for that. So my God. (laughs) And it started young, but the thing that I think was maybe behind that was, um, competition and perfectionism. Yes. There was very, my dad was a collegiate track and field athlete. My brother was very good at track. I was really good at track, but I also wanted to be good at volleyball and you can't be fast. And I didn't know how nutritionally to do this, to be fast and thin and strong and powerful. Mm. And I just was not going to be doing that 15 pound swing every year for track and volleyball. But this eating and exercise disorder happened freshman year in track. And I just, you know, was so focused on being as fast as I could and as lean as I could. And I finally just had to give that up. I had to say, I'm not going to do track. I'm only going to do volleyball. And I still struggled with eating and emotional eating probably until several, a few years ago when I learned about it. (laughs) Yeah. Do you see other perfectionists and other highly competitive individuals struggle with emotional eating? Are those two of the characteristics? Well, yes, because um, again, it really comes down to a sense of self-worth, right? Like, why do we compete? Well, we think that's going to make us a more worthy person, right? Mm -hmm. Why do we try to be perfect? Because we think we're not okay 
just being like, we can't, we can't just be, you know, we're human beings, not human doings, but we get somewhere along the line, you know, that we have to be a human doing and, and really do all those accomplishments. So definitely it goes hand in hand. And so many of my clients are really hard on themselves, like so hard on themselves and they have to do it perfectly. And if they don't do it perfectly, they're not going to do it. In fact, you know, so <laughs> that's kind of what I did with track. Yeah. It's like, yeah. if I can't do this, I'm not going to do it at all. Exactly. So there's, yeah. So there's a lot of mod- modifying we need to do of our, the way we think and the way we live. And so mm-hmm. much is about coming to that place of self love and compassion where it's like, Hey, you're still good, even if you're not the one, you know, getting the ribbon or, or, or mm-hmm. you know, getting the award and just realizing and coming to realize our humanness, you know, and just accepting we can't be all things to all people. And that's about recognizing our limitations, too. And, you know, I always tell people you you can't do it all if you expect to not overeat, like if you don't mind overeating, have at it, like just sign up for everything, raise your hand for everything, you know, get four hours of sleep and just keep being wonder woman. But if you don't want to overeat, because that'll lead to overeating, no question Mm -hmm. about it, stress, you know, cortisol, high cortisol, and then just, you know, needing energy and running to the quick foods, the snacky foods. But if you really want to change your weight or change your eating, then you're going to have to change your life. And you're going to have to accept your limitations that you can't be that wonder woman. It's just not realistic. And it comes with a price. Like we all pay a price, you know, for how we live. I mean, the person in the penthouse pays a price for living in the penthouse. You know, they have to work really hard and make a lot of money and then spend on the penthouse. But the person on the, you know, on on the sidewalk or in the gutter, that person pays a price too, Mm -hmm. right? So they don't get to live in the penthouse and they have, you know, very, you know, unfortunate circumstances, but they don't have to work. You know, they don't have to work. They can just beg for money. So it's like, we're all paying a price. Like everybody pays. Yeah. And I, I honestly think one of the most eye-opening things that I've learned about this whole emotional eating thing is the difference between emotional hunger and physical hunger. Like I really believe that knowledge is power. So I want you to dive in and educate us about the differences because they're really important and they're simple. They're way some, they're easy to understand. And so you can kind of recognize in the moment, am I emotionally eating or am I fueling my body because I'm physically hungry? So can you explain that a little bit more? Absolutely. I mean, the way that I find it easiest to know, and because I don't want to do a lot of guesswork or sit there and think about it too long. And so what I recommend to people is they eat three meals a day with nothing in between. And so, um, you know, if someone is intermittent fasting, at least put 12 or 13 hours between their dinner and their breakfast. I don't personally think for an emotional eater, it's smart to go a whole lot longer um, only because it sounds the, the alarm the the fear alarm of, Oh my God, I'm starving and I'm never going to be fed again. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So um, for emotional eaters have that kind of built in. We have such a fear of, lack, you know, of going without. So, um, because food saved our lives at one time, you know, food saved our lives as emotional eaters. I mean, if I didn't have food growing up to anesthetize the pain I was in because of the trauma I had, I would have been in big trouble. So when it saves your life at some point, when you don't have it, or you don't give it to yourself, you know, by, by, by withholding or whatever, um, even for a good reason, like intermittent fasting, it's, it's tricky because you, the, we do have that internal alarm system that's sort of like, 
oh my God, I'm going to starve or this, you know, I'm going to die. That's sort of what emotional eaters think. They translate it as no, this isn't good for longevity or for my health. I'm going to die. You know, (laughs) they can't really see the benefits because their subconscious is just sabotaging them. You're going to die. You're going to die. Yeah. Freaking out. Totally freaking out. So, um, so the, but the point about three meals, which is good is that whenever they happen is that, um, you'll know if if you've eaten a healthy meal, like if you're skipping meals all over the place, you know, you're not going to get a consistent understanding of your body and your body's needs. So the three meals is steady and even and consistent. And over time, your body will just adjust to that and come to know food's coming. We're not starving if we're hungry because emotional eaters are afraid of hunger because with hunger comes emotions And there's nothing an emotional eater hates more than to feel, than to feel. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You know, we made a decision at a very young age. Like, I don't want anything to do with that feeling stuff. It's uncomfortable. You know, it's just way overwhelming. I just, I'd rather stick to, you know, doing the job at hand and not, not dealing with those messy things called feelings. So, um, so the nice thing about three meal magic is when you do feed yourself on a regular basis and you have space between the meals where hunger does come up, then you can sort of suss out kind of what, what that hunger is. And if I have had a good breakfast and there's four or five hours between breakfast and lunch and it's 10 o'clock in the morning, I can have a conversation with myself and say, Hey, Trish, it's probably not physical because mm-hmm. you have fed yourself. So you're probably not going to die. You probably don't have to eat. <laughs> I don't want to sit and do guesswork every day because the problem with intuitive eating as a concept is that yeah. for, the, for the emotional eater, I personally would intuit that I should eat far more than I should. Yeah. <laughs> You know, when I'm doing that, intuition says eat right now, all the time, (laughs) always, you know, and so I don't want to sit there and am I, or am I not? Oh yeah, I think I am because then we're just doing the justifying, you know, and rationalizing game. And I'd like to take the guesswork out of it. So the three meals makes it real clear. There's clear boundaries around my food and it's not really a diet. It's like, what's, what am I feeling in between those meals? So at 10 o'clock, if I'm like, I'm starving, I can have a little conversation with myself and say, Trish, what's really going on? You know, let's take Mm -hmm. a look at this. And then what'll happen is I'll start to see, oh, like there's a phone call I don't want to make or, oh, I just had an upsetting conversation with a friend or whatever. And we can start to really identify what those emotions are. And that's how we can start getting more accustomed to feeling and realizing we're not going to die with some a little bit of emotion. So to me, that does, it just helps take um, the question around, is it physical or is it emotional out? Um, but those questions are good at any time. Uh, to really understand really what's going on, but feeding ourselves appropriately and, and getting adequate food and not just doing diet food, you know, Mm -hmm. is going to help us feel fed and realize that, gee, we can wait till the next meal. We don't have to start snacking right now. That's a big thing I tell people is, and a lot of people come to me from a, every single diet, Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, Nutrisystem, Octavia, Uh, low calorie cups, you know, you put something in a cup and you eat that much. And, (laughs) (laughs) and what I tell them is you have to learn about macronutrients, you have to learn about carbs, proteins, fats, which ones are good for you, which ones are not so good for you, which ones will um, cause a high blood sugar response, which ones will keep it steady and and help with cravings. Um, So what's your personal, you say you have to have a good meal or a good breakfast, 
What does that mean to you? Like, what do you teach your clients about how to structure their meals to reduce the urges to emotionally? Yeah. I mean, my experience is most people who have been out of control of food are pretty partial to sugar and carbs. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing they most often binge on. Those are the things they have cravings for. And for good reason, sugar is highly addictive and carbs metabolizes sugar. So, and if you have a weight problem or if you have a slow metabolism, carbs make you gain weight really easily, you know, Mm -hmm. and especially when they mix them with fat. So it's, it's tough. And for me personally, I've been such a sugar addict that I have to really watch the carbs. So um, you know, and there's time, my food changes. So there's times when I'm paleo, there's times where I go for a year as vegan, you know, cause I'm not a big meat eater. So even if I'm paleo, it's some chicken or some turkey and fish or whatever. So, and if I'm vegan, I say vegan, I'm not ever really vegan. I do vegan with some fish, you know, so, which is not vegan. Yeah. <laughs> but pescatarian, let's say, um, but, but in very little fish, it's mostly, you know, vegetable um, based stuff. But point is I do very little carbs because I gain weight really easily. So (laughs) I just have to watch it and I'll have some carbs, you know, a couple times a week and everything has carbs. So I don't mean I don't have carbs at all. I just mean, you know, a sweet potato or banana or things that kind of are heavier and, and do, you know, of course a sweet potato is better than a regular potato. Mm -hmm. Um, but even sweet potatoes for me, I'll gain weight pretty easily. So, so -hmm. I don't eat grains for the most part, eat a little bit of quinoa here and there, a little bit of black beans, you know, in terms of some carbs, but you know, slow digesting carbs, but I have to watch them even then just because I, I just gain weight easily. It's just a fact for me. And unless I'm really exercising a lot, um, I just can't really metabolize them very well. Mm -hmm. So I just recommend that for people, if they're complaining about their weight, you know, I say cut out the sugars and the carbs bread for sure, you know, um, but any kind of processed carbs are going to be kind of doomsday for us. And, and, but not only just because they help you gain weight, but Um, but the other thing is that they are addictive. You know, if I eat, if I eat rice, rice is all I end up wanting to eat. Yeah. (laughs) I say carbs beget carbs or sugar begets sugar. The more you have them, you want them. And if you just, if you can cut them off and I I know you're a Stevie advocate for those who haven't followed Trisha, she has a really good Facebook group. Is it the under sugar challenge? Quit quit sugar challenge. Yeah. Quit sugar challenge. And she she gets some Stevia recipes and that's one of the healthier artificial sweeteners. So I'm on board with that. And that's actually helped me a lot is that, and then watching for added sugars. So in PT school, I would have cliff bars and those have just as much added sugar as like a Snickers yes. bar. Yes. Okay? I've no binged wonder. on cliff bars. <laughs> yes. It's no wonder every hour on the hour, I wanted more cliff bar, darn it. You know, cause yeah. our, we had a break. I, I felt like I deserved a reward. My biggest totally. emotional eating struggle right now, you might hear Dawson crying. That's my son. I don't know what's going I on. I can't hear him. Okay, good. I'm sure she's taking care of it. So, but kids crying, right? So after that, that's one kind of trigger for me of like, okay, my system's going to come down. I'm going to eat something. I'm going to be really relaxed. The other is putting them down for bedtime or nap time, where sometimes it's a little bit of a battle, especially with my son, my daughter's so easy to put down. It's amazing. And, but after my son, I just feel like I've earned it almost, you know? And so I've learned that I have to deal with those emotions without food. 
some, yeah. somehow, some way. And I think that that's for every emotion, you know, stress, boredom, anger, joy. I, I think that we don't talk enough about, um, celebration in food and how emotional eating isn't always from a negative emotion. Absolutely. Yep. No question about it. So it's really, um, you know, it, it's, we can get in trouble. I mean, I'll, oftentimes when we're high on something or excited about something, um, we can be like, oh, we almost feel impervious to any consequences, right? <laughs> like, oh, I can eat anything because life is so good, you know, and then before we know it, you know, we're battling some more added pounds. So yeah, it's just, it's really about metabolizing emotions and realizing they come and go, you know, they come and go and we don't have to interpret them as good or bad, or we're bad if we have bad thoughts, you know, you know, of our negative thoughts towards other people or people we love, God forbid, you know, and just really letting the emotions and the thoughts flow and realizing we don't have to get attached to any of them and we're not going to die, you know, having them. And they don't mean as much as we really attribute to them. You know, so many people, I think, especially moms, you know, if they have these super negative feelings towards their kids because their kids are being a pain, you know, it's like, oh, I'm such a bad mom. You know, I'm hating on my kid right now. And, and you're not like, it's just stress. And of course you're going to go there at times and be like, you know, this, this, like, why did I have this kid? I mean, that's just a normal thing. And it's not how you really feel. It's just, it's an outlet of stress when we have negativity come up, you know, and not to get all twisted up about any of it and just realize these things come and go and mm -hmm. we just have to ride the wave. And you've given a couple tips already, but I know you're full of them. So I wanted to dive into, let's say someone's listening to this and they're like, wow, I'm definitely an emotional eater because like you said, we all are. So if you say that you're not, my challenge to you is to reflect on that and maybe journal and see when you're eating outside of meal times and see if there's an emotion behind that drive to eat. And, and then take the quiz. And, yeah. And take the quiz and then come <laughs> back and listen to this part of the podcast. So you said, you know, three square meals a day, no snacks in between. Um, I love the phrase, um, metabolize your emotions. So that yeah. was, that was a good, a good one. <laughs> what are your other tips for ending emotional eating? Uh, start with, start the day with a morning routine and really kind of fill your spiritual bank account you know, make some deposits, you know, prayer, meditation, reading, spiritual readings or something motivational, something that could just help you feel connected because normally we're just popping out of bed, looking at our phones, you know, going on email, uh, answering the kids or whatever. And it's just stress from the get-go and, you know, get up half an hour early, even though that seems painful and, and have some devotional time and really fill your spiritual bank account. And then you can draw on that throughout the day instead of drawing on the quick energy of snacky foods, mm -hmm. you know, so that's really pause. Important. So you're drawing on that energy that you, that you filled because no one else is going to fill your bucket. I yeah. tell that to people all the time. You have to do this. Yeah. So you're saying, fill your bucket, fill your own bucket in the morning so that you yeah. can draw on that instead of drawing on the quick energy from foods. That Absolutely. is a really important point. Okay. Absolutely. So, um, that's going to be really, really important. Um, start setting limits on your time, you know, don't try to be all things to all people. It's okay to say no you know, and, mm -hmm. and really start really taking a look at what can you do to your schedule? What can you offload? What can you delegate um, to somebody else? So you aren't taking on the stress all the time of everybody's needs. 
Uh, we just have to take care of ourselves. It's, it's just the bottom line. Self-care is really the, the number one message. And then also in my experience, you know, just don't, don't not feed yourself. Don't skip meals, you know, make sure you're well-fed. Um, you wouldn't do it to your kid. You wouldn't say, Hey, no lunch today. Cause you need to lose a few pounds. Like we'd never do that to our kids. Yeah. We do it to ourselves. And I think there's a difference there. Cause I do have intermittent fasting as part of my program, but like she said, there's just some people it's not the best strategy for, and it might bring up some triggering thoughts or emotions and that's fine. You know, we can totally work with other areas of your lifestyle to still, to still see, still see weight loss progress while having three consistent meals a day. So your body doesn't freak out on you emotionally, which is counterproductive for emotional eaters. Um, so morning routine, and that's honestly something I I've been thinking a lot about new moms. Cause a lot of my members come to me and they say, you know, the weight gain really started after I had my kids and I get it because I used to get up an hour, half an hour early and I would read scripture and I would pray and I would journal and it was, you know, my morning cup of coffee with Jesus is what I would call it. And I don't do that anymore. I'm really working to sleep. I was up seven times last night, you know, with the kids and it's just, you have to work that in. And I've really realized that over the last couple of years, getting out of that routine, you're constantly being drained from request after request from children or whatever it is. Even if you don't have kids, you're probably diving into work or other relationships and you give and you give. And I'm kind of, um, in the last month or so really realizing, especially with COVID, you have got to stop. Like you've got to, um, take your own advice and refocus your priorities. And so I bought a nice little journal on Amazon and I'm working through that. Well, just journaling and reading. So do you recommend journaling? Is that, that's something. That's oh really yeah. Healthy. It's, it's, it's one of the self-care secrets that I created. Um, I didn't create writing, but I just mean, I have a, something called the six self-care success secrets and writing is definitely one of them because we have to get, you know, garbage in garbage out. We got to get, you know, those toxic emotions out. And so I find that writing when we're upset or aggravated or triggered or whatever, it's really, really helpful um, Mm -hmm. to offload those emotions and get perspective on them. Cause when they're in our head, you know, they're very inflammatory, you know? So it's really important to get them out of our head and onto paper. And then we can settle down and take a look more rationally. What's really going on, what he really said versus what we thought we heard. Um, Mm -hmm. And then we can just be saner. Yeah. And I have a few questions that I tell my members and I think that these come, yeah, these come from atomic habits by James clear. Have you read that book? It's really good. I have not. It's I I'm, I sound obsessed with James clear because I (laughs) truly am. Um, and it's when you experience emotional eating or really any bad habit. So he's a habit change expert and he says, ask yourself and journal on where am I? What am I doing? Who am I with? what time is it? What emotions are driving my actions? And then I kind of tacked on another question. How can I deal with that emotion with that emotion in a way that doesn't involve food? So those are the writing prompts that I give to my members to dive a little bit deeper Mm -hmm. into their emotional eating. Do you have any specific writing prompts that you recommend to kind of get their juices flowing? Because I know there's a lot of resistance, at least in myself, Sometimes I want to wallow and I want to, I want to feel naked and this is terrible to say, but it's hard sometimes to push past that internal resistance 
and just journal and write down, even if you don't feel like doing it. Um, because I know there's always insights that come out through journaling that I would never get from typing and that I would never get from thinking. So do you Amen. have any just prompts? Cause sometimes I think if you have a, a more structured question to answer, you can just kind of get the juices flowing. Well, it depends on kind of what's bringing you to write. Like I am most driven to write when I'm really pissed off. So when I'm, yeah, so what I'm, cause it's so toxic to be angry. So, um, and so important to get it out. Cause if you stuff it, you know, you'll be stuffing it forever and it's so unhealthy. So I will write, I'm angry at, and then I'll just write everything I'm pissed off about. I'll write the person's name and then everything I, I just rant, I rant on paper And before I know it, I'm just out of rant. Like I'm just out of energy. Like I've just sort of taken all that wind and, and, you know, I got it out of me. And then I'm just sort of like, kind of like a balloon, like you get rid of all the the air in a balloon and they're just kind of sitting there and you're really not angry anymore. And my experience is while I'm doing that, I'm starting to see the real issue And so, so I just find bullet points really helpful. Like, and I do that with fears too. If I'm afraid about Mm -hmm. something, I'll just start writing bullet points of all the things I'm afraid about. And again, then I'll start to get perspective on what's really going on. So I just find that really, you know, I don't have to, people always think, oh, I've checked my spelling and all this kind of thing. And it's like, no, just rant, just, just get it out. And then, you know, as, as, just like you said, I totally agree. Like things will come up that will never come up if you're just controlling it with your conscience, you know, or your consciousness that you have to go deeper to your subconscious and the pen to the paper does that. And I think a big part of it is I write a lot slower than I think. I mean, when I watch videos, when I do any sort of training, I usually put it at 1.5 to 1.75 speed. And I take stuff in as absolutely fast as I can. And it makes me slow down, you know, and Mm -hmm. and I think that when you get all of the crap out and on paper, it almost, like you said, you're like a deflated balloon and then you can inflate it with true thoughts and Good positive stuff. thoughts. Yes. Yeah. So I think if, if someone's listening to this and they've been resistant to the idea of journaling, just do it Buy yourself a fresh journal, get yourself a nice pen. That's nice to write with and put it somewhere obvious. So that's another tip of James clear to change your habits. You want to make it easy and you want to make it obvious. So put it somewhere that you're going to see it and just get to get to work. You know, this stuff doesn't just change overnight. I love before we started recording, didn't you say it took you 32 years? You've been on this. Is <laughs> yeah, that- I'm not done. I'm not finished for sure. It's a journey. Yeah. It is a journey. So 32 years, you know, she's been working on mastering her emotional eating. And so when people come to me after a month and, you know, they're, they're wanting to be farther <laughs> along and they want right. it to take longer. I'm like, Always. I get it, girl. I get yeah. it. Yeah. But you got to hang in there and you have to be patient. And I tell them you need to be healthy for the rest of your life, not just for a couple months. Right. So we're in this for the long haul to prevent disease. That's, you know, good things take time and a lot of work. So any, yeah. Any other tips to help end emotional eating? I think if we kind of recap it, we had the morning routine, kind of fill your bucket with reading scripture, maybe some journaling. Um, You had three square meals, no snacks. You had really reduced the sugar because sugar, we get sugar. What were your other main tips? Um, Well, skipping meals is one thing, but, you know, even if you're doing intermittent fasting, you can still, I mean, I have people still do my three meal magic, you know, even if they want to have more time between dinner and breakfast. 
Um, so, uh, so yeah. And then to me, it's always about going deeper, you know, dealing with the underlying causes for sure. Mm -hmm. I think that's awesome. Well, thank you so much. And where can people learn more about you? Um, definitely through my website, healyourhunger.com, um, Instagram, uh, Trisha, I think it's Trisha Nelson underscore, uh, is my Instagram. I'll have the handle up there right above And then I have a a Facebook group called the secret sauce to end emotional eating. Is that a free group or is that part of your free? Nope. That one's free. So can they go to, you'd be shocked at how many Facebook questions that I get. Just how do I find this? And they're okay. Yeah. Go to, go to Facebook and literally type in the secret sauce to end emotional eating and just ask to join. Okay. Perfect. And are you going to do the quit sugar challenge again? I'm doing it right. Yes. And if, if if somebody signs up, if if somebody takes my quiz, my free quiz, then they'll probably get notified. They will get notified about my next challenge, which is going to be right. Like the first week in January. Well, that's good timing because I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to be quitting the sugar after they get all the cookies for Christmas and I'll try to help, you know, for my listeners and my members, I'll let them know when that's open again. Wonderful. Thank you. You do a really nice job with that. I know the first time, the first go around, I went through it. I'm like, uh, I have a two week old baby and I'm really tired. And then the second go around, I was a little bit more participatory and I'm sure the next go around, I'll, you just kind of glean something new every time. So totally. I appreciate all that work that you're doing. Thank you so much again. And people definitely go check her out on Instagram and, uh, the Facebook group and the quit sugar, quit sugar challenge is amazing. So go through Thank that. Thank you Morgan. I so appreciate you having me. Thank you. We'll talk again soon. Okay. Take care. Bye. All right. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation today with Trisha. If you did, please let me know on social media or you can send an email to info at reshapept.com. I always love hearing from you guys and especially if you haven't already left a rating and review for this podcast on your favorite platform, that would mean a lot to me. I see how many downloads I'm getting every week and it's growing every week, which is really encouraging. So the more ratings and reviews that I get, for this podcast, the broader reach it's going to have and the more people that I can help. I so appreciate your time today. Happy Halloween tomorrow. I know we're going to be doing a somewhat socially distant Halloween with just grandparents and a couple neighbors, um, just from a COVID standpoint. And I told my mom, you know, don't fill Dawson's pumpkin or whatever you're going to give him with candy. Put some pouches in there, put some goldfish, put something other than just that added sugar. So Those are a couple ideas that I had for my mom. If you don't already have a plan for your kids or grandkids, try to get creative and not just fill them with a bunch of sugar this year. All right, we have a really special interview with one of my members next week who was able to reverse her prediabetes in just eight weeks. I can't wait to share her story with you. And I'll talk with you same time, same place next week. Bye for now.